Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the Alex Kennedy Podcast, which is brought to you by BasketballNews.com. This is episode number 22, and I am very excited about today's guest. I'm a big collector. I've loved trading cards since I was a kid. I was that kid who was constantly buying basketball cards, football cards, Pokemon cards, you name it. So I can't wait to chat with the VP of Panini America, Jason Howarth. Panini is the industry leader, and Jason has been with the company for many years. Jason, thanks for joining me. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm doing well. I appreciate you doing this. Uh, I had to bring you on because the trading card market is blowing up right now. And I'm so fascinated by it. And we also see NFTs and NBA Top Shot and all these other things that are blowing up. So, you know, there's so many things going on in the collectible space. Um, I want to start with just kind of the current trading card boom. We recently saw LeBron James rookie cards sell for 5.2 million. You know, it was tied for the most export, uh, expensive sports card ever. Uh, when did this current trading card boom start? And why do you think it's taking off like this? I think there's a couple of things. First off, I mean, it's so awesome that you're having modern day cards show up at that those numbers. I mean, you know, we're seeing, you know, stuff for like Giannis rookies and you name it, come in at, you know, 1.2 million, 1.5 million. And, you know, back in the day when I started at Panini, you know, 11 years ago, you know, the Holy Grail card to get that kind of money was Honus Wagner. Yeah. You know, and now you're talking about basketball cards, like with modern day dudes that are still playing every night. Right. Like, so that's absolutely incredible. Love to see that stuff. I think there's a couple of things that are, you know, really driving that, um, you know, I, I always say that uh, like you started to feel this momentum start to happen. In the Jason Tatum rookie class that year, there was starting to build that hype. Then you followed up with Luca in the Trey year is rookies. You follow that up with Zion and John Morant last year, you know, and all of this craziness. And then you get into like what's happening on social media, like literally people, you know, back in the day, if people had great cards, they had to show them to their friends at the hobby store now you can show them online. Like, you know, so people are seeing the product, seeing the cards, seeing how beautiful they look, you know, and, and they're getting super enthusiastic about it. And then you have case breaking going on, which like for those people out in there that don't know what case breaking is, it's, you know, literally someone live streaming, opening up cases of products, you know, and in the case of the NBA, there are 30 spots in that case break and every one person, there's 30 people in those, in, in that case break that are assigned each individual team. And so, you know, last year, if you had the Pelicans, every card that came out, you got, if you had the Pelicans as a team, which meant every Zion that came out, you ended up getting. So people are seeing this happening and it's, you know, this case breaking thing is, you know, happening all over the globe. So people are seeing it from all over the world. And I think that's really what's driving the marketplace now is that the hobby community has now become a global community. You know, we've had huge success in China uh, over the last 18 months with our products, you know, on the basketball side, on the football side, on the soccer side, you know, and with UFC, which we just launched like two weeks ago. Uh, But I mean, that's what's driving the marketplace right now is that, you know, this community is able to come together 
and be able to, you know, kind of experience those cards as they're being opened in real time. Do you think the pandemic helped trading cards because people were nostalgic and they were, you know, looking for something to do with, you know, some of their spare time? Like, I know some friends personally that got back into trading cards during this time, you know, after many years of not collecting. Uh, Do you think that's something that, you know, is that something you guys saw or noticed? Yeah, I mean, you know, we saw this momentum building, you know, last, well, it feels like last year, but, you know, October of 2019, you know, 2020 is like almost the last year, right? So, you know, October of 2019, we started to see this hype and buzz, like just totally, you know, skyrocket, you know, and then obviously the pandemic happened, sports shut down, right? And literally there was nothing to connect to sports or to connect to athletes outside of, you know, trading cards and video games. Right. Yeah. And so like, there's only so, so much you can do with, you know, video games, you know, before you're like, okay, now what? And so, you know, the experience of opening up packs of cards and remembering what that was like, I think for people that, you know, maybe were collecting when they were young and then forgot about it, or, you know, just got busy, busy with life. You know, the idea that when you get a pack of cards in your hand, and you don't know it's inside and then you open up that pack and you end up getting like a hot rookie or a player from your favorite team. Like there's nothing that like can replace that euphoria, no matter how old you are. And so like that part on top of all the craziness of the pandemic, like I felt like it, you know, people felt lighter. Right. And so it was like, wow, whoa, this is incredible. I want to do this. And so you got that, you know, really in, in, into that market, you know, people at home, people, you know, I, we talked about case breaking a second ago, you know, that's been in the hobby community for seven, eight years, but really, I mean, it's the perfect socially distant community, you know, event. Cause you're all sitting on your couches and there's some dude like sharing cards, showing cards and you're talking in the chat. And, you know, so you felt like you're part of this community, even though you're stuck at your house. Um, and, and again, you know, you had everybody doing it. You had guys like Steve Aoki jumping in, ripping cards. You got people, you know, all over the place ripping cards now. So, um, I think the pandemic certainly like, you know, kind of brought it back. I think if we all think about certain things as we've gone through the pandemic, you know, the one thing that, you know, I think we really truly value is that feeling of home and being with family and relying on one another and those, those simple things, right. And so, you know, trading cards, if you collected when you were a kid, that was a simpler time. Like you didn't have to worry yeah. about paying a mortgage. So you can escape and open up packs of cards, you know, and, and actually enjoy it. That's great. 100%. So how much has, you mentioned, you know, working at Panini for 11 years, how much has your job changed in that 11 years and the company's approach and things that you guys are doing? I mean, that's a long time to be there. I mean, what, what's the biggest differences between now and when you first started? God, I mean, the biggest difference was, you know, no one knew who we were when we came into the market, right? Like, I mean, you know, they were like, who? Like, wait, don't they make sandwiches? And we're like, no, that's not what we do. <laughs> I remember no you guys, go, you I remember know? you guys as the company that would chase around the, the prospects at the NBA draft combine. And I always thought it was the smartest thing. You guys were always the earliest, like you guys were usually guys first endorsement before they had signed anything else. And I was like, that's really smart. And so once you guys blew up, it was like, Oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Still is. And, and, and I think that the thing that's also really, you know, incredible now is, you know, I talk about, you know, being with Panini for 11 years, like we have literally created a generation of collectors now in the NBA. 
Like the only thing they've ever known about NBA trading cards are Panini branded trading cards. Yeah. You know, the guys that are in the league now, like if they collected cards when they were kids, they were collecting our cards. Like, you know what I mean? So that connectivity to that athlete is so much deeper. And to your point, you know, I mean, as soon as these kids declare, you know, we're, you know, we're working on figuring out how we, you know, build a relationship with them, you know, as soon as they sign with an agent, you know, we're having those conversations with them. Um, you know, so all of those things kind of like, you know, it, it is that first endorsement money, you know, for these kids. And, and in the last year when there was like nothing going on from, a you know, during the pandemic, they didn't have the opportunity to do, you know, a lot of in-person activations, didn't have a lot of opportunity to do photo shoots or, you know, production shoots. The one constant in all of it was they were sitting there signing cards, you know, and getting paid for it, you know? Yeah. And then just waiting until they realize it was time to start playing gaming, you know, playing ball again. So, yeah, for sure. So how, I guess uh, when you're on top and you're kind of the industry leader, because uh, you've seen both sides of it where no one really knows what Panini is and you're trying to come up and challenge the leaders to being on top, you know, how different is that? It's incredible. But I mean, I think that, you know, the one thing that I love about Panini and our group is like, we're always looking at like, how do we continue to evolve? How do we keep pushing it? You know, and, and that's where you start to think about like the blockchain NFT products. I mean, we launched our blockchain NFT product in January of 2020. Like, you know, non-fungible tokens were tied to blockchain since the beginning of time. You can't be on the blockchain without, without a non-fungible token, right? But like no one understood what an NFT was. They just understood blockchain maybe. Right. And so we started producing those those assets, those cards, um, some tied to a physical card, some purely, you know, blockchain NFT, um, you know, and, and we did that in January of 2020. And I mean, we're, you know, 12 months ahead of everybody else uh, in that space. And there's a um, there's an obligation there, too, because, you know, we have to work on educating the public you know, to what this all is and why it's important. And so, you know, us being out there and being the only one out there, you know, is daunting. Um, you know, thankfully, you know, Top Shot came into the space and people are starting to get a better understanding of it. But one of the things that we did really early on on our side was we made the decision that we'd house our blockchain platform privately on our website at PaniniAmerica.net, that we'd sell all of our assets in US dollars only so that people didn't have to go figure out like, What's a smart wallet? What kind of cryptocurrency am I supposed to buy? Do I buy Bitcoin? Do I buy Ether? Do I buy something else? Like, what if they don't accept the cryptocurrency that I that I buy? Like, you know, to to make that purchase. What if they only accept one one cryptocurrency? So, you know, we focused on the U.S. dollar side because the other side of it was that you know consumers understood the value of cards in U.S. dollars. Yeah. Um, and we've already got volatility in the marketplace. Our volatility in the marketplace is how a player performs day in and day out, right? And the last thing we need to do is incorporate another level of volatility in terms of cryptocurrency, you know, having it be here and then the next day having it be here. And then what's the real value of the card? So, you know, that's what we really focused our attention on. Yeah, I was looking at your guys' blockchain product and I saw like an Anthony Davis autographed card and it said that it's a physical and digital pairing so do you get a the physical card and an nft when you purchase that is that how that works yeah so the way that we built our blockchain nft products there's like three different ways that we've kind of so 
you know, blockchain and NFT can exist in any space, right? In any category. And so what we did, you know, three years ago was we kind of dug in, focused on how do we bring this into the trading card community? What's the value for it? And what how do we, you know, make this a sustainable element within the trading card category? Right. And so there's long term, like, you know, what what we're thinking about five years from now is not where we are right now, uh, for sure. But where we are right now is, you know, when we launched our blockchain product in January of 2020, we knew people understood the value of the physical card. So we introduced it tied to a physical card. We had a hundred card set with players across every sport, including Honus Wagner. You know, felt like he was the, you know, the iconic, you know, image of trading cards. We wanted to bring that to life in, you know, first, you know, in the blockchain space. So we had, we have a Honus Wagner card out there, you know, with a, with an NFT tied to it. And, you know, we had that physical component along with the digital asset. Now, obviously, you know, the person that acquires that asset, you know, can decide that they want to hold the physical card, keep the physical card, you know, and sell off the blockchain asset or the NFT asset, right? Sell off the physical asset, keep the NFT asset or combine them both and sell them together. That's kind of on the end consumer to make that determination once it leaves you know, our hands for lack of a better definition. So that was one way of doing it physical tied to an NFT asset. And then we just have purely NFT blockchain assets that we roll out every single week on our site at PaniniAmerica.net. So there's always fresh content every single week, you know, and then the other side that we did because we have physical products, you know, we inserted a card in some of our physical products that said, you've just acquired this NFT blockchain asset enter this code at PaniniAmerica.net and you you punch in that code, you have no idea who you've got until you enter that code. So mm. it's bringing people, in, in that case, it was bringing the traditional collecting community into the marketplace, um, whether they're ready for it or not. You know, the good news is, is that there was a comfort level because it was still tied to US dollars. They didn't have to go out and, like I said, get a smart wallet, figure out cryptocurrency. You know, that stuff will evolve in time where we are now you know, is a, you know, is a community, is a world, you know, still trying to navigate, you know, what's the best cryptocurrency, you know, what's the best platform, all of those types of things, you know, we've got time to kind of build to that and let that evolve and and we'll be in the market, you know, evolving as that evolves. And I think that's one of the things that we've done and how you get to the top and how you stay to the, stay at the top. For sure. So yeah, you mentioned NBA Top Shot. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about it. Uh, you know, especially like back in January, February, they they had uh, you know a few months there where the market was kind of crazy and, and blew up. Um, so I, I think right now both are doing well. You know, you have Top Shot, you have, and then obviously trading cards are doing extremely well. But how has the rise of Top Shot kind of impacted? the industry as a whole. And it's interesting. One of our writers at basketballnews.com, Dan Grunfeld, wrote an article about how getting into Top Shot actually made him excited to get back into trading cards again, too, because he was opening packs and then was like, you know what? This was fun. I want to go open up some regular packs. Like whenever he didn't get, uh, you know, one of the Top Shot packs in the drops, he was like, okay, I'm just going to order some Panini packs. And then it got him back into traditional trading cards too. So he kind of wrote an article saying these can actually complement each other really well and coexist in the future. But there's other people that think, okay, Top Shot's coming for trading cards. They're going to try to, you know, be the new collectible leader and, and it's more of a competition. I guess, what are your, what's your view on whether the two can coexist and how it impacts the industry? Um, they absolutely can coexist. I mean, I, I don't think anyone 
um, on the league side, on the player player association side, or even Dapper for that matter, you know, reference their product as trading cards. You know, yeah. I mean, they're a digital moment, a video moment, and we certainly have the capability within our NFT platform to introduce video if and when we want to do that. Um, you know, never say never. But I mean, right now we're focused on building out that asset base on the on the trading card side of it. And, you know, in the next month, you're going to see us introduce, you know, a blind pack format. Surprise, surprise. That's the DNA of every freaking trading card since the 1800s. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, so, yeah, that's coming. You know, we're waiting for the right opportunity and the timing for that to be in the right spot for us. Um, you know, I think you you hear a lot of people saying, like, is this an either or scenario? And then you have, you know, really smart people saying it's not an either or, it's just another way. You know, and and we had that same conversation, you know, four years ago when we introduced our digital trading card apps, you know, our our Panini Blitz app for the NFL and our Panini Dunk app for the NBA. Um, you know, is like, is digital trading cards going to replace the physical side? No, it's a compliment. You know, and I think that you know, Panini, our job, it, our task is, you know, we want consumers and collectors to be able to consume our product however they want to consume it. You know, if they're totally in and on physical and they don't want anything else but physical, we got you. You want to collect digital trading cards in an app and have some gamification elements in it. You know, great. We got you with our NBA dunk app and our blitz app and our FIFA app. You know, you want to start collecting, you know, the in the NFT blockchain space. Great. We've got you, you know? And so, I mean, our responsibility is to, you know, grow collectability, you know, and that doesn't mean that it's just always going to be tied to a two and a half by three and a half piece of cardboard, you know, like you, you can't evolve if that's the only thing you're doing. But what you're seeing now in the space, obviously, is, I mean, we push the boundary of what create, what, you know, what cardboard looks like. I mean, our prism brand is absolutely insane. You know, it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. You know, and the values there are, are insane for that product um, across the board, whether that be our NBA product or our NFL product or our newly launched USC product, you know, two weeks ago with USC Prism. But, um, you know, so I think that the, all of those things kind of play off of each other and they complement. And I think, you know, we we introduced that hashtag, who do you collect in 2014 with Kobe Bryant and, and Andrew Luck, you know, around the FIFA World Cup. Because really, like, at the end of the day, everybody collects something, right? Yeah. Like, you might collect matchbooks, you might collect, you know, little matchbox cars, you might collect trading cards. There's always some connectivity there. Like, you're collecting something, and who are you collecting and why are you collecting is really the, you know, and it, it it's different for everybody. I want to thank our sponsor, BetQL. If you want an edge over the sports books during the NBA playoffs, you need to download BetQL, the only app you'll need to make smart bets. Their best bet algorithm scans over 350,000 bets per year to give you the best bet recommendation for every game across all major sports. They also give you the reasoning behind why you should place the bet. BetQL also has tons of other tools like sharp data so you can see who the pros are backing and line movement so you can jump on betting opportunities in real time. Plus, you can save all your 
your picks in one place to track your success and winning streaks, as well as view your rank on their leaderboards. Head to the App Store or Google Play Store now to download BetQL. Enter the discount code BBNSTREAM at payment checkout for 25% off any of their subscription offerings. They also have some deals right now because the NBA playoffs are going on, but definitely enter that code BBNSTREAM for 25% off. Don't miss out on the chance to beat your sports book this summer. One thing that Top Shot is dealing with right now, and it's something that we've talked about on our Top Shot show, NBA Top Shot Weekly, they're managed, they're trying to manage scarcity relative to demand. So they want to make it easy for new collectors to get packs in moments so that they can continue growing and be mainstream. But uh, they're also trying to appease the original early collectors who have spent a lot of money on this. Um, it's something that you guys have had to deal with in the trading card community as well. And you have decades of experience with this. So I'm curious, you know, how do you maintain your product's value while continuing to introduce new moments, new cards? Uh, and can you kind of speak to striking that balance? Um, I can't really comment on the top shot side of it. Sure. Yeah. Um, just from a trading you know, card perspective. But I mean, but from a trading card perspective, I mean, obviously, you know, that that in, inherently is part of the, the the trading card DNA as well as scarcity. And, you know, if you think about art, so I collected when I, yeah, I'm an 80s kid. So I collected in the 80s thinking that all my cards were going to buy me a house. No, <laughs> yeah, didn't happen, right? So like we spent all this money on cards, you know, but the manufacturers just overproduced because they kept pushing it, you know, based on demand. And you know, it's a balancing act. I mean, we struggle with that now. Like, you know, demand is so high. How do you manage demand compared to supply, knowing that inherently trading cards are built on scarcity? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, how do you build around that? How do you evolve to that? And, you know, we got people in the marketplace that are super frustrated because they can't get cards. But I mean, at the same time, we have to be responsible and make sure that we're maintaining the inherent value of those cards which is ultimately at the end of the day, scarcity, whether there's a number to X, you know, number to one, number to five, number to 10, number to 499, 199. Like, you know, once you hit that, once you hit that numbering sequence, it's game over. You have to move on to something else. Right. And so, you know, we focus on building value on a number of different ways. Like, you know, our prism brand is probably a great example of that. Like it's not all about numbering. You know, there's certain designs that are unique and there's there's rarity to those designs and and all of those things. So, I mean, you know, for us, it's we're always thinking about how do we maintain, you know, that level of scarcity so we don't, you know, fall back on what happened in the 80s and 90s and just have this whole thing crash. You know, you have to you have to keep you have to stay true to that. I mean, if you don't, you're going to lose in the long run. So, you know, we're very focused on, you know, paying attention to that, building those markets, you know, tied to, you know, numbering, you know, unique elements within the product, all of those things so that there's something different about every product and every brand that we that we put out. For sure. One thing I saw you say in a different interview, and I thought it was really interesting, was whenever, you know, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you bought cards thinking this could be worth a lot someday. Now you open cards and it might be <clears throat> it might be worth a lot that afternoon. You know, you literally could turn it around and, and it could be worth thousands of dollars on eBay uh, an hour after you buy it, which is kind of crazy. Uh, I think that's a huge shift. And uh, when did that kind of shift happen? When did we start seeing that? Well, I mean, certainly eBay has helped, you know, the visibility of that, right? And and I think that, you know, just the the idea, like, you know, when you and I were kids or whatever, I'd go into my hobby shop 
the value of that card was what the guy behind the, the counter said it was right. right. And Beckett magazine, you know, and like, you know, and then they could argue the price off of the Beckett number with you. And, you know, you're pretty much losing that battle as a 12 year old kid, but <laughs> um, you know, but I mean, nowadays, like, because it's such a global community and it's so visible, you know, in the marketplace between online case breaking, like I literally, I, I got a text message at like three o'clock in the morning um, on Tuesday or Monday, I forget which day it was, you know, TMZ talking about the Tom Brady flawless card that, that they just, that someone just pulled that was like, you know, ridiculous and diamond embedded and, and all that other stuff. And I mean, you know, people are seeing that stuff now, like they're the, the market's determining that value. It's not like a, um, it's not a fake value because the market globally is seeing that, you know, whether that's on eBay or whether that's through case breaks or other platforms, you name it, you know, they're seeing the value right then and there. And then you have the stuff that's happening in the auction space with guys like Golden and and Heritage for that matter. For sure. So with, you know, where the trading card market is right now with things going for millions of dollars, uh, with NFTs blowing up, what are your thoughts on the future of collectibles and kind of where the industry is headed? You know, we talked about how a lot of these things can coexist and complement each other, but what are your thoughts on kind of where this whole industry is going in the future? I, I mean, it's growing. It's not, it's not, you know, falling down anytime soon. That's for sure. I mean, you know, I, I always, I was literally was talking about this yesterday. Like, you know, we can see where we are four or five years from now, right. To a certain extent. And, you know, and we also kind of have that makeup of like the guys that are going to be in the league, the guys that are going to continue to succeed in the league you know, over the next four to five years and certainly, you know, signing Luca is an exclusive, you know, a month ago, you know, we're, you know, signing John Morant is an exclusive athlete. We've got some other guys in the mix too. Nice. Um, you know, we're, we're building and cultivating that future generation, those future athletes that are going to be the faces, you know, globally for the sport. And, you know, at the same time, we're also growing the market globally. I, I mentioned China, you know, we, we had, crazy success over the last 18 months in China. We launched our direct-to-consumer platform in China um, in April of 2020. Uh, that's been going, you know, gangbusters there. You know, there are unique elements that only exist in the Chinese product, you know, which then creates this another level of like scarcity, supply, and want. You know, the U.S. consumer sees that, you know, unique element that's only available in China. They want it. You know, so there's that inner that interactivity across the world with people collecting and interacting with each other. And that's not changing. Like that's just growing. So, um, you know, that's what I would say is that, you know, we're, you know, there's so much stuff going on in the marketplace, so many different ways to collect and consume product. Um, and the, the community is just getting bigger. Um, you know, which, you know, for those guys, I, I, I talked about this before, I think with some other people, like, I think, you know, the traditional hobby collector or the collecting community, right, kind of always looked at trading cards as another form of diversifying that portfolio. So it wasn't just about stocks or, you know, they were, you, you know, diversifying that portfolio, hoping that this stuff was going to have value somewhere along the way. And I think what's happening now is that you're getting some other people coming into the space that are recognizing that, hey, this is another, you know, asset that we can diversify our portfolio with. You know, and so you've got people in that space, right, that are recognizing it. And at the same time saying like, whoa, this is super enjoyable. I want to be able to do this. And, you know, and I can diversify my portfolio and have fun, like instead of like trying to figure out, 
you know, things I don't know anything about. Like I can sit there and I, I use this, use, use this excuse all the time. Like when I want to watch a game and be like, I got to do research on it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Game. Like, you know, we might, <laughs> you know, we might need to sign this guy. Like it's work. Sorry. You that's, know, I mean, so you yeah. can enjoy it. <laughs> No, that's that's the best. My wife's like, you don't. You're watching another game, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's it's work. And she's like, oh, it's football. And I was like, ah, uh, <laughs> scrambling, trying to think of another excuse. Uh, well, it's like but, you know, I mean, for me, like I'm from Boston. I live in Dallas. Like, there's some natural things that you think we'd want to watch. I noticed that little Tampa Bay logo. Yeah, I watched yes. a lot of Bucks games this year. Um, but I mean, you know, when my wife says, you know, why are you watching the Cincinnati Bengals? Well because of Joe Burrow, I have to see how he does. Like, you know, <laughs> why are you watching the LA chargers? Well, because Justin Herbert might win rookie of the year. Like I need to see why this guy is compelling. You know, yep. this year it's going to be like, why are you watching the Jacksonville Jaguars? Um, because of Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne. Like, yeah, yeah. It's you know, true. I mean, yeah. I was saying to someone last night about case breaking, like explaining, explaining case breaking on the football side, you know, Two years ago, you might be disappointed if you ended up with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Right. You get the Jags this year in case breaks, you're going to be psyched because every, you know, every Jag that comes out is going to be yours, which means every Trevor Lawrence card and every every Travis Etienne card. Yeah. I mean, that's that's huge. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny, kind of going off what you were just saying. My wife, I've had a conversation with her where she was like, look, if you're going to put money into something like, you know, basketball, do it with trading cards and top shot and this kind of stuff, like, or like right. fantasy sports. She's yeah, like, exactly. I trust you in that more than like the stock market, which you know nothing about. And I was 100%, like, 100%. Yeah. Makes sense. It's true. Um, so yeah, I yeah. think, uh, yeah. If you're like investing in the stock market, you're, t you're buying stuff that people are already talking about. You need to buy it before people are talking about it. Right. right? Exactly. Like, you know, so at least you can enjoy yourself in like, you know, jump, jump in early on Justin Herbert or Justin Jefferson or, you know, any of these guys that are coming into the league now for the NBA, you know, which we're super excited for July 29th. We just, we just finished our NFL draft. You know, we were backstage. It was like the, you know, last year was all virtual, you know, this year was a mix of virtual and in-person. It felt like normal. Yeah. Um, so we're excited for July 29th, you know, for the NBA draft. And when that happens, you know, Whatever it looks like, whether that's, you know, part virtual, part physical, we'll be ready for it. We'll be ready with those guys and, and you know, getting, you know, looking to see where they land for sure. And then you'll be chasing them around at Summer League, making sure they sign their cards. That's always the funny thing, too. It's seeing, like, the different Panini employees that, like, I've known over the years, like, just running around trying to make sure guys are signing because, you know, it's 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 a lot. Like, you know, they're, they're, they have thousands of cards to sign and they're like, no, where are you at? We need more cards signed. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, and we tell these guys all the time, like the best trading card deal you're ever going to get is your rookie deal. 100%. Because yep. it doesn't matter, like, if you're, you know, the top baller, most iconic player ever, right? The most valuable card that you'll have will always be that rookie card because it's first. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, it that that part's super important. And, you know, guys like Kobe understood that. He understood that his entire career. Mm -hmm. You know, that, you know, he needed to keep signing cards, not because he, you know, needed the money. He want, he knew that it was a way to connect to fans, even when he was done playing the game, you know. And so, like, you know, some of these guys, some of these kids get it early. Some of them will get it, you know, in year two, year three of their, you know, career when they realize, like, it's about building a legacy and connecting to fans. And there's nothing better than nothing does that better than trading cards.
Yeah. Last question for you. Uh, we have people listening to this podcast that want to work in sports someday and, you know, they're trying to figure out which path they want to go down. So what advice would you give to someone that wants to work in trading card industry, collectibles, that kind of field? So I, you know, I, I made that mistake when I was, you know, coming out of college too, like I wanted to work in sports. So I did everything that everyone else said you were supposed to do, right? Like, oh, I got to go apply for jobs at a team, at a league, right? Like, what I would say is, you know, focus on those areas, you know, where there's a vested interest in sports, go work for an agency, go work for a brand that is deeply involved in sports. And on the trading card side, on the collectible side, there's so many elements that go into, you know, trading cards. You know, if you're a graphic designer and you love trading cards, like, boom, there's a spot for you, man. Like, you know, you want to develop product there's a spot for you in trading cards. You are in, in photography. You want to, you know, work on picking out the photos, all those things. There's a spot for you in that spot. And then obviously there's the other side of it, the, the marketing side, the sales side of it, you know, the acquisition side, you mentioned, you know, seeing those, those employees, you know, running around after players, uh, getting them to sign cards and, you know, negotiating the deals. Like there's so many elements that are tied into the trading card side of it. So it's like, where do I get in? Like, find your spot that you're passionate about. And there's probably a way to fill in, you know, in into that trading card space, that trading card space. Like, I think like, if you're a trading card person, you might not or you're coming up thinking about like, oh, hey, I want to get into sports, but I really love graphic design. That doesn't really seem like it meshes. It totally does. Yeah. You know, and even the content side of it now, like, I mean, God, like, all these dudes have their own, you know, content teams. Yeah. You know, like you, you're good with a camera, like just start to laser in on that side of it, you know, is what I'd say. Yeah. There's so many opportunities now and yeah, with social media and all these guys with the, on the content side, that's hundred percent right. There's so many different things you can do. You know, you could get a job doing graphic design for one of these players, like social media teams. <laughs> there's just so many different uh, paths 100%. that you can take. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, Jason, this has been so much fun. Uh, I could pick your brain for hours. Thank you so much for your time. And congrats on everything you guys are doing. Like you, you mentioned signing Luca, signing John Moran, you know, the blockchain thing. You guys are just doing so many cool things. So congrats to you and uh, keep up the great Thanks, work. Man. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. And if you guys want to hear more episodes of this podcast, check us out at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. Also, check out the other podcasts that are on the Basketball News Network. Kenyon Martin and Jadakiss have a podcast called Neat and Unfiltered. The Rex Chapman Show. Aton Thomas is The Rematch. James Posey has The Posecast. There are so many podcasts on our network. There's something for everyone. So definitely check those out. And check out basketballnews.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.